Welcome to SLP Money, an in-depth conversation for speech language pathologists and private practice owners on how to break through to the next level of your career and business. Join your host, Craig Goldslager, a financial advisor and certified exit planner, as he shares strategies and stories that will help you become more financially confident and better invest your time and money. You can learn more and stay up to date at utterlyfinancial.com. Hello, SLP Nation. My guest on this episode is Jenna Castro-Casbon, a private practice consultant who works with SLPs just like you to realize their dream of starting and growing their very own private practice. Jenna has helped over 10,000 SLPs. Yes, that's a one with four zeros. 10,000 get started and grow their businesses to their definition of success. We talk about the importance of mentorship and how two colleagues helped inspire her to take the leap and start her own private practice. As Jenna says, it only takes one client to start your practice, but that first client is always the toughest to get. We then talk about the five P's to get your practice off the ground, which are to picture the practice, protect it, promote it, payment or determine how you'll get paid, and number five, how to prosper and grow the practice. We wrap up by talking about the common reasons why SLPs are nervous to get started. From waiting until you're an expert with a specialization to the fear of failure, we talk about strategies to overcome these mental hurdles that cause SLPs to remain an employee and not an independent clinician. My three big takeaways from this episode with Jenna. Number one, use a tool to set a vision for your practice. Jenna has a private practice roadmap to help get you started and see even if being a private practitioner is the right career path for you. Number two, seek mentorship from someone who is a private practitioner. Just like Jenna received guidance when she got started, many SLPs like to pay it forward and help others. Many SLPs share with me that when they view other practitioners as collaborators and not competition, they work together to achieve greater levels of success than what they could achieve on their own. And number three, there is no perfect time to get started. And the hardest part is just that, getting started. So if you wait until the perfect opportunity, you'll never get your practice off the ground. For all the show notes, references, and links mentioned in today's episode, head over to utterlyfinancial.com forward slash 11. That's utterlyfinancial.com forward slash 11. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoy this episode of SLP Money with my guest, Jenna Castro-Casbon. Welcome to another episode of SLP Money, where I'm joined today by Jenna Castro-Casbon. Some of you listening may know her better as the independent clinician. Jenna is a private practice consultant who has helped thousands of SLPs start and grow their own private practices through her company, The Independent Clinician. She's also written many articles for the ASHA Leader and has also presented at ASHA Connect. You can find her online in her SLP Private Practice Beginners Facebook group and in her premium programs, the Start Your Private Practice System and the Grow Your Private Practice Coaching Program. Jenna lives in Boston, Massachusetts and is a wife and mama to two young boys. Jenna, with that introduction, it's a pleasure to welcome you on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Craig. It's great to be here. Uh, again, it's our pleasure. And I'm really excited for today's episode because I meet a lot of SLPs who are looking to shift from employee to business owner. And our team can really help coach them through the dollars, the cents, thinking about financially what makes sense. But they often share their fears with me on some of the intangibles of being an air quotes business owner. Things like HIPAA compliance, intake forms, talking to SLPs, so you know the gamut. Before we get into the details of the many businesses that you have to help SLPs with this change, can you share with me a little bit about your background and actually what made you want to become an SLP? Absolutely. So I had a couple of things happen over my life that led me in this path. One, my dad was a stutterer as a child. So he would always talk to me about how he used to go to speech therapy when he was little. And my dad is kind of like the class clown kind of guy. So instead of actually doing his speech therapy, he would, they did a lot of mirror work back in the day with fluency, like talking into mirrors. And so he taught himself how to talk like Donald Duck, right? And so he actually lived in Florida and had, he was so good at talking like Donald Duck that he had an audition with Walt Disney himself to potentially become the voice of Donald Duck back in the day. But he, he passed on it to pursue uh, basketball in college instead. So he grew up stutterer. Then he also rose and became the president of his company. And the whole time, you know, now he speaks on stages and he does all kinds of stuff, but he still carries that fear of stuttering with him all the time, even though he's minimally disfluent at this point. 
So I always sort of grew up knowing part of my dad, but I didn't really think about me becoming a speech pathologist. Um, then when I was in college, my grandmother had a mild stroke and ended up with a little bit of aphasia and some dysarthria. And I remember being at the hospital and sitting with her during one of her speech therapy sessions and just thinking it was very interesting. And that was maybe kind of a little bit of a spark of maybe this would be a good profession. At the time, I was a psychology major in undergrad at Loyola University in New Orleans. And I was in a developmental psychology course and we were learning about language acquisition and then we touched on disordered language acquisition. And I just had one of those light bulb aha moments of, oh, maybe speech pathology is what I'm supposed to do. So I remember going straight from class to the library and looking up like the job outlook handbook <laughs> and seeing what being a speech pathologist was really like, because I'm just, that's kind of how I am. I like to research things. So anyway, I found out some information about the field and it was too late to change majors slash they didn't have speech therapy um, or communication disorders at my college. So then I was like, oh, well, I'm already, you know, a, almost going to be a senior. So I got to figure out this whole graduate school thing. So then that's when I started applying to grad schools and then sort of the rest is history. But those were like, like the three big moments in my life that combined to wanting to become a speech pathologist. That's so fascinating. And especially with sharing the history of your father, that he rose the ranks within his own organization to become the president of a company. You have that innate background on the business side as well. So you learn about all the communication disorders. You have a familial history within the business world. How did you get started within your actual SLP career? Were you in the medical world? Were you in school districts? Nope. I'm an adult person through and through. During grad school, when I took the aphasia class, I just fell in love with adults. I thought, and I, I looked back at one point about like my essay that I wrote for grad school was all about stuttering because of my dad. But then once I got actually into grad school and learned about what happens with adults when they have strokes and brain injuries, that got me in a completely different trajectory. So I did grad school trying to focus as much on adults as possible. And then I did my clinical fellowship working in an outpatient rehabilitation center in Boston. And that's really where I fell in love with adults and really have always, I have children. I love my children. I don't like working with children. <laughs> I like working with adults. It's, it's, and that's what's one of the best things about being an SLP, right? You have your unique track. Everyone has a preference, whether it's the adult population or the peds, schools, hospitals, outpatient. It's just wonderful because there's so many trajectories that you can go in. And so it's so interesting that combining your background history and you sampled a few things, but you learned pretty quickly the track that you wanted to take. Yeah, completely. And what led you towards helping other SLPs? How did you get started with coaching and helping SLPs realize their dreams of being a business owner themselves? Yeah, that's a good question. So I want to take it like one step back to talk about my dad one more time, which is that he always wanted me to do private practice, right? Well, before he thought I should do private practice, he thought I should go into business with him. And I remember saying like, dad, no, business is boring. I'm not interested in doing businesses. Like I just want to help people. So then I go to school for speech pathology and he's like, well, maybe you'll have a private practice. And I was like, I don't know, dad. Like, I just want to help adults. Like, leave me alone. <laughs> right. As most children say to their parents. <laughs> exactly. So this is my dream, not yours, dad, like leave me alone. So, um, but he really did kind of plant a seed in that moment that I ignored for years anyway, but I was working at the rehabilitation hospital and I had two coworkers who I was working with and they both worked part-time and, you know, I was friendly with them, but I guess I didn't really know what they were doing part-time when they weren't with me working at the hospital. And I remember there was this one day over lunch where we just were talking about normal things. It was one of those rare occasions where SLPs get to actually have lunch. And then second, talk about non-work related things during lunch. And so they started talking about their private practices. And I, I literally did not know that that's what they were doing on their off days was having like seeing their own clients. So I was, I was listening to them and then I started just being curious and asking questions. And so they shared all kinds of information with me that really changed how I thought about private practice. So for example, they both said that they were private pay only. And at the time, I guess I like sort of knew that some people were like did private pay stuff like therapists and that kind of thing. But I didn't really think that speech therapists could do that. I thought it was more, you know, insurance based and private practice. So that was, you know, one thing that really was like a light bulb. 
The second thing was I asked about their location. I was like, oh, well, do you have an office? And they both said no. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that's how I thought people had clinic space. And they said, well, we could have a clinic space, but it's we find that it's easier and cheaper, less overhead to go to the homes of the clients. And so that too, I was like, wait, I like didn't know that that was possible. And the third thing that they said that really changed how I thought about things was that they had been doing this for a long time. Now they at the time were probably in their like mid to maybe late forties. And they had been in private practice seeing their own private clients since they were in their mid-20s, which was how old I was at the time. And so I was, my mind was completely blown on that. I had no idea that this was something that you could start earlier and not wait 15, 20 plus years. So those were, you know, three big things that I learned. And so then they said, would you like to see your own private clients? And again, I was like, you guys, I've just got my CF a couple months ago. I definitely don't know that I'm ready for that. And so they said, well, we'll mentor you and we'll teach you, you know, how to do it so that when you're ready, you'll be ready. So that's what they did. And they got me all set up with business license and liability insurance and all those kind of things. And then they said, okay, the next person that asks if you treat private clients, because they also asked me, has anyone ever asked you? if you treat privately? And I said, well, yes, but I've always referred them to either of you. <laughs> and so they said, okay, Jenna, the next time that someone asks, I want you to say yes. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay. So someone did ask not that long later, but it was a child, uh, it was a kid with autism. And I was like, okay, no, if I'm gonna do this, I wanna do it with someone that I really am passionate about. So a couple of months later, I had a second opportunity and it was for a gentleman with aphasia. And I talked to his wife and it seemed like I was going to be a good fit and really be able to help him out because I didn't have that much experience at the time. But aphasia was my primary area of interest in budding specialty, I guess. And so I said yes. And that's sort of how my own private practice took off. So flash forward a couple of years later and I was doing more private practice work. And at the time then I was part time at the hospital and my private practice was growing and people kept asking me, you know, I was talking about it socially and whatever else, and then a little bit online and people said, well, how are you doing it? And so I was like, well, I mean, I guess I could teach other people how to do this too. So then in addition to the private practice and also still working part-time at the hospital, I started creating information products to teach other SLPs how to start their private practices. So that was back in 2008 when I started selling the info products on the independent clinician website. And it's really taken off from there. So from now back to 2008, I've taught literally over 10,000 SLPs how to start their private practices. And it has been a lot of fun and I've learned how to get people you know, up and rolling quicker than ever like over this time. And it's just been so much fun to realize that um, I just really like transforming people. So whether it's patients that I help like transform from being, you know, having aphasia to having, well, less aphasia, but helping clients, you know, make progress or helping speech pathologists transform from quote, regular therapists to private practitioners, that's a process that I really, really enjoy doing. And it's incredible. The numbers, just the sheer magnitude. Oftentimes people ask me, well, you devoted your career to working with speech language pathologists. How can that be? And I tell them, well, do you know how many there are? There's hundreds of thousands of SLPs in practice. And now you're talking about helping over 10,000. That's just remarkable. So kudos to you. That's such an impact that you've had on the SLP community. And something that you just mentioned, one takeaway, something that really jumped out to me when you say how much you enjoy helping people get up and rolling, I find inertia to be just the most incredibly powerful force. And it's so difficult to overcome. In my world, that's getting people to think about building savings, reducing spending habits, saving for financial goals, right? In your world, the intent to start your own business, it's really hard to do that. You can have the goal, you can have the dream, but it's hard to get started. So sometimes people just need a nudge. That happened with you and your two colleagues at the outpatient clinic you're talking about. And what started for you is you started rolling the ball forward a little bit. 10,000 plus SLPs later, here we are today. But I think one of the best things you've created is a five-step roadmap to help other SLPs get started. So would you mind sharing with us a little bit more about this roadmap and some of the first things that an SLP should do when she or he is starting a private practice? 
absolutely. So the five step roadmap was created, you know, I, I've had years of experience doing this, but I only created this specific roadmap in the last year and a half where I really like sat down and thought, okay, what is it that I'm teaching people how to do and how can I boil it down into five steps? And because I'm a speech pathologist and SLPs love this kind of thing, every one of these five steps starts with the letter P, right? So the first P <laughs> is to picture your private practice. So this is the phase where you start really thinking about, well, what might my private practice look like? When do I want to practice? What kind of clients do I want to treat? Why do I want to do this in the first place? Where do I want to treat them? And what services do I want to be offering? So this is kind of like that dreaming phase where you create a plan and then everything else gets layered on top of that plan. So picture your private practice is phase one. Phase two is protect your private practice. So this is where you start to get those ducks in a row. SLPs love to get their ducks in a row. And that's one of the things that stops people from pursuing this is fear of missing a step, doing something wrong, or failure, losing their license. This is where people really start to catastrophize the what ifs. So instead, what I do is I break down the individual steps within the protect your private practice phase so that people can keep moving forward. So these are things like making sure that you have as much legal protection as you have, as much professional protection with regard to your license, and also thinking about financially reducing the risk of starting your private practice by starting with clients on the side and also not taking on too many expenses or overhead in the beginning and starting your private practice as lean and debt-free as possible. One thing that really stands out in that is what you were talking about. And, and you learned that in the beginning from these, I keep going back to the two colleagues you had in the outpatient center, and you were shocked that you can operate a private practice without clinic space. I've talked to so many SLPs who didn't even know that that was a possibility. As many people think you have to have the brick and mortar, but you can start with teletherapy. You can start with a virtual practice or in some other location. You don't need to have massive overhead to get started. No, I tell people you can do that if you have the money and the resources and if that's what you want to do, you can do that, but you don't have to, right? So I'm a believer that when it comes to running a business, you want to always be, you know, focusing on cash flow and getting that income coming in and then rolling that into expenses or investments later on. And I totally agree. I think most people, once they become a business owner, you know, traditionally, if you're an employee, you get your employer benefits, you save into your company's 401k or retirement plan, or you save into your savings account for something like a down payment, right? But as a business owner, it's such a different mentality because one of the main advantages of running your own business is you can experience rates of return and growth that you can't in something like the stock market or other forms of investments. You're betting on yourself. And at the end of the day, when you're ready to transition out of your business and you cash in on those years of sweat and equity, but building that up and you get the choice, do I reinvest into me and my business? You have all these different alternatives and, and that's such a huge advantage of being a business owner. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so the those are the, the first two steps, right? To picture your private practice and then protect it. And I tell people that that's really the groundwork. That's what you do first because it's the most important steps before you get started. And it's something that you do once. I mean, your vision might change over time, but when we're just getting started, we're going to formulate your vision and picture it. And then we're going to get all of the steps like a business license and liability insurance and those kind of protections. So once you have those ducks in a row and you are ready to see private clients, then we move on to phase three, which is the promote phase. So this is where you start getting the word out and telling people that you're starting this private practice. And that's one of the other things that holds people back is that fear of being pushy or fear of networking and all of those kind of things. And I think that speech therapists have a different idea of what marketing is versus what it can be or should be. So people tend to think of things like glossy materials and perfect logos and brochures and business cards and all this stuff. Really what marketing is, is communication. And it's about communicating the right message to the right people at the right time. And that is something that speech pathologists help our clients do every single day. Even though it might sound like, well, I don't have a background in marketing. Marketing is communication and you do have a background in communication. So what I help my students do is to take their marketing message, meaning what they do and how they help people and make sure that the right people are hearing it. So for example, the doctors or the specialists or you know, special ed department heads or whoever shares that same ideal client, 
And then they're going to talk about how they have space in their private practice and who they serve and how they serve them. And that's what marketing is all about. So it's so interesting that you talk about that because a few of the previous guests that have been on SLP Money, we've dove a little deep into the niche conversation and everything you're saying, I'm completely in agreement with. It's so important to have your message and be specific to who you're talking to. And I think regardless of whether it's a speech private practice owner, audiologist, you will be pleasantly surprised as to how many people have that specific need and a light bulb goes off when they come to your website and they see that information right there. I focus on working with AAC needs and disorders right there. You're their match. That's what marketing and what you're saying is so great. It's so true. Yeah. Well, that's what they want. The reason why people pursue working with a private practitioner is because they want to shortcut the time that it would take them to make progress at another place like a school or a hospital, right? So when I first got started, I remember I made these flyers and I went to the ASHA website and I looked for some page that listed all the diagnoses and disorders we treated. And I wrote down every single one of them. And it was like, here's all of the things Jenna can do. And I mean, I only put things that... I felt confident in doing skill-wise, but nonetheless, there was probably about 15 things on there that I said I could do, right? And then I sent all these postcards out and no calls. And I was like, oh my gosh, what what happened? Like, I thought this was how, how this worked. And so what I came to realize over time is that people don't want someone who can do like everything, right? Because what they're thinking is, but can they help my husband or can they help my child? I want someone who knows aphasia or who knows pediatric feeding. That's the person I want to help, not this like jack of all trades person. So I think in the very, very beginning that it's okay to work with whoever you feel confident with and comfortable with and can help them to get some traction, to build your caseload, get some money coming in and to build that confidence. But as soon as you can start niching down, it's a good thing. And just to reiterate it, I mean, you liken it to any other profession. Think about when you have to go see a physician and you're feeling heart palpitations. You're not going to go see a podiatrist. You're going to go see a cardiologist and you're going to go find the best one, whether they live in New York, California, Florida, if you need the best, you find the best. And fortunately, for some of the reasons we've talked about, one of the hidden benefits, if you call it a benefit of the experience of coronavirus and what it's taught us is people are adopting new habits and teletherapy is becoming more prevalent. And if you are the foremost thought leader in fluency disorder, people will find you as long as you're doing some of these things like Jenna you're saying you have your message you're very clear you are the best people will find you yeah absolutely and you want them to find you because the whole reason why a lot of speech pathologists go into private practice is because they don't feel like they're having the impact that they want to have on clients in a more traditional setting so people want to give more they want to give enough time to these clients And so if you want to give more of your time and your expertise to people in your community, private practice is the best way to do it. So the first three phases we talked about were picturing your private practice, protecting, and then promoting. So the fourth, which might be Craig's favorite, is get paid. So this is where we talk about money. So this is where where we talk about, and I help people make decisions about what kind of payment they wanna receive. Do they wanna be private pay only? Or do they wanna be a mix of insurance? Do they wanna do Medicaid? Do they wanna do Medicare? Do they wanna get contracts at schools? How much are they gonna charge? What is their rate gonna be? And then we also start to think about, you know, tracking your income and tracking your expenses and thinking about taxes, because I also teach people how to set up legitimate businesses and not under the table cash babysitting money kind of thing. These are legitimate businesses that need to be tracking income, tracking expenses, and paying taxes. So I want to make sure that SLPs know how to do that. And this is one of the areas, again, that makes people nervous because people don't usually have to worry about this stuff in regular settings. So usually the way that I teach people how to do this is to start with private pay and to sustain that for as long as they can. And then when they really either can't sustain it any longer and are ready to grow or are really ready to grow, then to start building insurance contracts, which will really help a private practice grow. And it also helps with marketing because then you get listed on the website of all the insurance companies and whatnot. So the get paid part 
is really important. That's another thing where, where a lot of speech pathologists have some conflict there internally with getting paid for their services. Because I hear lots of SLPs say, but I love this so much I would do it for free. And when I hear people say that, it's like a jab to the chest for me because they have done it for free. SLPs give away so much of their time and so much of their expertise. Anytime an SLP stays late, works on the weekend, does IEP meetings during the summer when they're supposed to be at the beach with their families, anytime that they buy materials to use with clients that they're not reimbursed for or paying for their own CEUs out of pocket, they have worked for free. And if you wanna work for free, private practice is not the best option for you, right? Businesses are designed to make money. And while one of your core values might not be making money, it needs to become making money if that's what you want to do in your business. It's such a mental shift. And can I give you the sister theory of the one that you were just talking about? I hear, yeah. from, so, I hear from so many clinicians, not just that they do things for free, but people will set rates and charge them rates because they thought it's what that person could afford. And it's such a disservice to yourself as a business owner by doing that because you have your expertise, you have your skill set, and you have your standard rate. You also have to think one hurdle that I've helped some private practice owners overcome with that aspect is you have to think about it from the client's perspective. Just because everyone has a client or maybe it's a personal friendship or relationship that's becoming a client and all of a sudden they ask you for the friends and family discount. Well, what happens when they try and give you a referral because you're such an excellent SLP that their friend comes and now their friend is wants the friends and family rate and they want all of these discounts and it just snowballs. So while it's very, very difficult to do that and I know SLPs very well, I know that you're all goodwilled very caring people. What Jen is saying is so important. You have to switch that hat from SLP to business owner. And if you discount once, it's going to lead to a snowball effect that you just don't need to have happen. And people need to respect you as the professionals that you are. Don't start implementing things like that. Once you break your principle, it's much easier to do it again and again. Absolutely. And something that you said that was really important there is about the identity of business owner. And that's one of the things that I think SLPs struggle with is that they see like, well, I'm an SLP, I'm a helping people person. But the truth is you can be a helping people person and be a business person, right? It can be and, it is not a, an or situation. So that's one of the biggest hurdles I feel like that the people who pursue private practice have to overcome is realizing that they are taking on a new identity, right? Before I had children, I did not have the identity of mom or mother. But the second my oldest son was born, all of a sudden I had a new identity and I put it on and I liked it so much we had another kid, right? But <laughs> exactly. we, we, can, we, can, we can think about adding the identity of business owner. You are still a speech pathologist. That still may be you know, at the core of what you do. But when you add the identity of business owner, you have to have some mindset shifts in terms of what you're actually doing with this business and how you're going to run it and hopefully grow it. Like you said, when you work in a setting, clinical setting, school setting, outpatient, you name the setting, but you're used to getting your paycheck every two weeks. That's it. A lot of decisions are made. You've mentioned taxes. You get your taxes withheld. You get your benefits. It's much simpler. There's less decisions to make. But to help make this transformation, I and thank you for calling me out for step four. Yes, my, my eyes lit up when we, when we started talking about that. And before we go to number five, one of the things, it's important to get outside guidance on financial issues from people who know what they're talking about, right? So from financial planners, from accountants, from bookkeepers, just like we know everything about, you know, the field of speech pathology and, you know, communication and hearing and everything else, people who, you know, go to school and get certifications in, you know, the money fields, that's what they know. So it's really important for us to, to seek their advice and seek their expertise and help them have a different lens on our business because otherwise you will get bogged down and you will struggle with running your own business. So I highly recommend reaching out to people like Craig to get that additional investment advice and financial planning advice because we just usually don't have that. 
And it's as the business owner, right? There's so many different, I know you're a fan of the hats reference. There's so many different hats you'll wear. We talked about marketing already. We're now talking about finances. I just want you to think that you have to know what your value is as a business owner. If you're going to be charging these hourly rates for clients to see you, is it worth, a lot of people like to do things on their own, but is it worth doing a $20 an hour task or is it worth delegating that out? Maybe Jen is talking about doing some marketing or maybe you're doing something on a website and you can just have some web developer who's an expert in that charge you $25 to do a task that you might spend five hours researching. And by researching, I mean Googling and trying to do it all on your own when you could have just delegated it for $25 and been done. Absolutely. So yeah, that's one of those mindset shifts that we hope that our people have. Okay, so we're ready for the final step, but just to recap real quick. So we're going to picture your private practice, protect, promote, get paid. And then the final step is prosper. So prosper is where you really start to think about hiring more people, growing your private practice to your desired level, getting more systems in place, maybe hiring independent contractors or employees is now when you want that brick and mortar private practice. Do you want to do multidisciplinary services? Do you want to start offering um, so like selling information products or teaching courses or what kind of other things do you want to do to prosper because of your private practice? So that's a phase that goes on for a long time. And it's kind of like the getting to be an established private practitioner phase. But that's really where the sky's the limit. How far do you want to take this thing? And some people decide to stay small and maybe on the side of something else. And others want, you know, a multi-location brick and mortar practices with 100 employees. You can make that decision for yourself and it takes time to build to that desired level. But on my own podcast, I've interviewed so many people who have gone from what feels like zero to 60 and really scaled and grown very, very quickly. And I've talked to lots and lots of other people who are really kind of taking the slow road because maybe they have little kids and they just want to have some extra pocket change to use for vacations or camps, right? So it's totally up to the individual how far they want to grow. So the last, I mentioned that the first two phases, so the picture and the protect, were like things that you essentially do once and then they help you lay that solid foundation. The last three phrases, so the promote, get paid, and prosper, those happen cyclically. They happen over and over again. So you promote and then you get paid and then hopefully that leads to more prospering. Then you want to grow more. So you promote, you get paid some more and then you prosper. And then that just kind of keeps, you know, spiraling up again, as big as you want it to be. So those are the five steps of starting a private practice that I teach in my online programs. And then of course there's individual action steps under each of those items, but generally that's the path that I lead people down that I've found to be very successful and help people get results very quickly. That's so helpful. And I really like the name and I really like the concept of the five P's. I think it's very sticky. I think people can retain that information. I think they can remember it. So before they even get started, though, I think we should talk about just some of the mental hurdles that someone who's maybe worked in a hospital setting for years and are kind of comfortable with it, they like it, but then they want to shift. They're doing some of the things they're thinking about maybe step five. They want to prosper. They want to have more and maybe it's leaving a bigger impact. Maybe it's getting paid more. Whatever it is, they want aspire for more than working for someone else. What would you say some of the, and I know you've mentioned some, but what would you say are the most pervasive or common misconceptions that people have about just getting started? Well, I think one of the, there's lots of things and I hear the same kind of things over and over. So I'll share some of the most common. So a big misconception is the idea that you have to wait to become an expert before you start a private practice. So those are going to be those like, you know, kind of mid-career people who think, well, I'd like to do a private practice, but I'm not an expert yet, right? Or even the beginners who maybe are only a couple years out for their CF, but either they have told themselves or someone else has told them that they're not ready yet because they don't have enough expertise. So I, I believe that there's two ways you can do this. Either you can wait to become an expert, which we all know like will probably never come because what is expert enough, right? We have this very large field and it's hard to know everything. So the people who wait to become experts find themselves waiting for a really long time, or you can become an expert because of your private practice. 
So you can start and you can dive in and you can become an expert along the way by actually doing the work. And for people who say, but I'm not an expert yet, that's what continuing education is for. That's what advanced certification programs are for. We have all of these programs out there, Hannon and Floor Time and Lee Silverman Voice Treatment. You can level up your education and then build your expertise as you go along rather than waiting. So not waiting is one of my core tenets that I try to tell people. Someone thinks you have enough expertise to be doing this now because they hired you at your hospital or school or wherever you're working. So it's only you limiting yourself that you feel like you're not ready yet because in most cases you really are. And it's so powerful. You learn more from your failures than you do from your successes. And so if you make a mistake, guess what? People who learn from their mistakes don't repeat them. And you have to trip, stumble, and fall a few times. And it's hard in practice to do that. But from my experience, my wife's experience as an SLP, I know that mistakes happen. No one is perfect. And most people understand all of that. Trying to overcome that hurdle and obstacle, it's easier said than done. I know that. But to just try and just get going, because it's like you're saying, it's like waiting for Godot. You can wait and wait and wait, but he or she's not coming. So just go. Exactly. And then you just brought up, you know, uh, this is a great segue. Another thing people are really afraid of is fear of failure. So people tell me that all the time, but I'm afraid, but I'm afraid of failure. I'm afraid of failure. And I always come back and ask, well, what does that mean? Because everyone has a different idea of what failure means. So some people say things like, you know, well, what if I misdo my finances and I lose my business? Well, you know, hopefully you're going to pull out before you really ruin your business or something, or you contract with people who know more about money than you do, but you're not going to, like the chances of that really happening, I think are fairly small. The, the other thing that people get worried about is, you know, fear of getting sued. That would be another, that's another thing that means failure to people. Well, that's why you have professional liability insurance. That's why you obey the code of ethics that ASHA sets forth. Could someone sue you? Absolutely. Someone could sue any of us at any time. That's why you have the legal protections in place, which is what I cover in the second phase, to make sure that in the unlikely but possible event of a lawsuit, that you are organized, you have all of your ducks in a row. But again, the chances of that happening are relatively small, but you do need to be prepared in case it were to happen. But you can't let fear of failure stop you from doing this in the first place, because I believe that that is the biggest risk of all. The biggest risk of private practice is not doing it. The, the shoulda, woulda, coulda syndrome, right? Worst case, the things that you're saying. From what it sounds like, you don't need thousands or tens of thousands of dollars to even get started. The financial risk, I think, is something that people, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. You don't need to rent a 2,000 square foot clinic. You don't need to buy the latest software and they'll have dozens of assessments or TVs in your waiting room, right? You, you don't need all of these expenses. You just got to get going and just just start. And I know throughout your website and some of the social media that I see you post, it just takes one client to get started. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's, that's always usually the hardest one. Someone in my program the other day, this is my favorite story uh, so far. She was at Subway restaurant and she was wearing a shirt that said like, I'm a speech pathologist or speech pathology. I don't know what the shirt said, but something that indicated that she was a speech pathologist. And the mom of a child with autism was also at Subway and asked her, I guess somehow they got talking and she said, well, I have a private practice and like she was just starting, like that was, this person ended up being her first client because she was wearing a t-shirt that said, I'm a speech therapist. <laughs> and so her very first client came from having lunch at Subway like last week. So you never know who that first client is going to be or where they're going to come from. But I'm, I can be a little woo-woo sometimes and I really kind of believe in the universe and that when you are truly set up and you are ready to serve, the people who need you and need your services will find you, even at Subway. It's such an amazing story. And one thing that's important to take away from there is you said that she mentioned it in a forum or in your community. Yeah. Listeners of the podcast know that we had another guest on in a previous episode just talking about the importance of community where Yes, you can post online in a general group forum or some other type of setting, but to be surrounded by others who have the similar life goals to you, a support system, 
going through the day-to-day ins and outs, right? If you're having these fears, I can with fair certainty say that there are others having these similar fears. And that's the power of communities and forums. And it sounds like, Jenna, you have such a great setup for your students to share practices, share ideas, and just people going through this on a day-in and day-out basis. And you know what, a, what an amazing success story, getting your first client. And how many people do you think went to Subway for lunch the next day, right? Just, yeah, who knows? It was just yeah. you know karma, fate, right? That they, that they ended up there together. You know, one of the things that, that happens, private practice can be lonely. It can be lonely and a lot of people do it in isolation because they're just, you know, solo private practitioners, right? A couple of people, you know, partnerships and whatnot. But for the most part, it's a solo business owner. Most SLPs do not have business experience. People didn't, don't have MBAs or maybe they did a lemonade stand when they were a kid. But other than that, they might not have any business experience. So it's very isolating. So this is a, this is a situation where community is really, really important. And so to be able to share those ups and downs, you know, get your questions answered so that you don't have to go through this yourself. And I really feel like, you know, you're making me really kind of think about how things have worked out in my life, Craig, because had I not had that early mentorship from those two coworkers, there's no way that I would be doing what I'm doing today. And I wouldn't have structured it this way. Their mentorship and the, the fact that they, they saw something in me that I didn't see in myself and that they wanted to pay it forward and teach me how to do it. I've created a whole business out of that. But it was because of their trust and their support and everything else. And not everybody has that. The private practitioner, the, the SLP who's working in the school and they're totally burned out and they've got so many you know, reports to write and meetings to go to and they're just feeling like they're at their wit's end, they may not have anybody to talk about this with. So that's where community, I always think community is important, but in this particular area, it's essential to help people get that support and keep moving forward. We've talked about so many amazing topics today whether it's wearing the different hats, thinking about all the resources you have available to you. And I just want to reiterate, for those who are not business owners yet, it does require the mentality shift, but I want you to think about the one resource that every human being on earth, Jeff Bezos, myself, people who have negative net worths, we all have the same one resource that we all have to deal with, time. We all get the same 24 hours in a day. So what do you choose to do with that time? And when you have the availability for someone, I'm inspired and I'm not even an SLP private practice owner, but to be in my community and hearing that story of you never know where the next client will come from, but this practitioner was ready. She was prepared. She knew how to communicate her mission and her statement to someone she met buying a sandwich. That's remarkable. And inspiring someone else to see that. You can read books or have other information, but there's no resource like others going through it with you. And it's just, it's a great thing. Well, and at some point you just have to decide to be ready. People ask me all the time, like, how do you know when you're ready to start a private practice? And there's no pre-qualification. There's no checklist where I say, well, are you, did you do this? Blah, blah, blah. The answer is, are you deciding to be ready? Because none of us can make any changes in our lives until we have decided internally that we're ready. So people ask all the time, SLPs, oh, do you see private clients or whatever? And so many people say no. And they regret saying no. And they wished that they had said yes, but they didn't feel ready yet. So it's on you. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, you know, I would really, really like to do this, to prepare yourself so that when the next opportunity comes, whether it's through a friend or a former grad school colleague or someone at Subway, you are ready and you can say yes next time. Just amazing stuff. So one other thing that I would like to mention is, again, I'm doing some due diligence before our conversation, pulling up your website. There's just some quote, and I think it's a wonderful thing as we start to wrap up from Tony Gaskins, a motivational speaker. If you don't build your dream, someone else will hire you to help build theirs. And I've never heard that before, but it is so powerful. And if you do aspire to have your own dreams and build them, you have tremendous resources available and you just take the bull by the horns. On my webinar, I use that quote and that's everybody's number one takeaway, right? Is whose dream are you building? Are you building yours or are you building someone else's? Just awesome stuff. So we're all about taking action here on the SLP Money Podcast. So 
Jen and I would like to leave you all with three action items to help you get started and break through that inertia and really start launching the private practice. From my perspective, after our conversation, number one has to be, you need to download that five-step roadmap and work on those five Ps and really learn about how to get going. Yeah. And people can access that at startyourprivatepractice.com backslash roadmap. You'll get a printable version of the roadmap. There's some extra steps in there and that'll really help you get started. Awesome. Number two, thinking about the powerful questions that you ask, maybe clients sometimes, patients, but those powerful questions, right? We're not talking about the yes or no's. We're talking about the WH questions, the why's, the what's. I know SLPs love those questions. So what is your why? Why do you want to start a private practice? What are you doing to move forward and build the progress? Yeah, those are really important. And the why's, the second part to that is why not? So there's the why do you want to do it? And then the why not is what is holding you back. And people decide to take action when the risk of not doing it becomes greater than the risk involved in doing it. So I always want people to think of their why and think of, is it for their kids? Is it to build a legacy? Is it to get out of debt? Is it to pay off loans or build savings or you know, have an impact on your community, build generational wealth for your family? What is your why? And then secondly, what's your why not? And number three, I think it just has to be using resources that are available to you. Share with us a little bit more. Maybe there's some other video or something else that you think someone should start with. Yeah, absolutely. So I have the, the roadmap is really like a quick and dirty download. It'll give you information about the five stages of starting a private practice. The, if, you, if you're up for, you know, most SLPs don't learn anything about private practice in graduate school. So I created a free training, which people can access at startyourprivatepractice.com backslash webinar, where I promise to teach you more in 60 minutes about private practice than you ever learned in grad school. With the one exception of Howard University, which has a course in private practice. So go Howard. But if you didn't go to Howard, go to startyourprivatepractice.com backslash webinar, and you can watch a training about the ins and outs of private practice. So those are really the two best ways to get started. And then I also have a podcast called the Private Practice Success Stories Podcast, which I interview successful private practitioners from all over the U.S. and a handful internationally. And I ask them about their journey to private practice what lessons did they learn along the way? What mistakes did they make? You know, what advice would they give themselves when they were first getting started? And the people I interview are of all levels and types of private practice, from people who just celebrated their year anniversary and are talking about what their first year was like, to people who have been in private practice for 30 years and have multiple locations and are really that established private practitioner that people, you know, sometimes people strive to be. So the Private Practice Success Stories podcast is available in iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher and all those kind of places. But between the roadmap, the free webinar, and the podcast, you will be armed with so much information to really decide if private practice is right for you and if this is something you want to pursue. If you check out the resources and you think, no, you know what, I don't know that this is for me or maybe not for me right now, no problem. But if you decide that you do want to go forward, I'm happy to help you on that journey. I think that's really a great way to wrap up. It might not just be the right time. We've talked about the karmic signs in the universe and it just might not be your time to start a private practice, but it's not a use it or lose it type of situation, right? You can revisit this next year, next five years, 10 years, and just all these resources that Jenna offers to you for free. You'll learn everything you need to know from people in your shoes who just went through any fears that you have about starting a private practice and you hear them hitting their one-year milestone, their two-year milestone, what it was like having that first patient on your own and going through the billing. And I'm sure you talk about some funny stories, some sad stories. You cry a little, you laugh a little, and it's just the full gamut of being a business owner. And so great resources and encourage everyone to check them out. Yeah, absolutely. And it's fun to create this stuff. The, the whole per people had asked me to do a podcast for forever. And I kept thinking, I don't, I don't want to hear myself talk. I don't want to do a podcast. And then I realized all the podcasts I listen to were interviews. So why don't I just interview people 
and ask them about their private practices. So I have really like stereotypical private practices and then I have private practices that also do hippotherapy and mind work and all, mindset work, all kinds of other stuff. So, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect private practice, only one that's perfect for you. So that's what the podcast aims to show. And that's what, that's what I want to help people create. I want to cr help people create a private practice and a life that is more aligned with what they imagined than perhaps where they are right now. Well, Jenna, it was such a pleasure to have you on our show today. And on behalf of someone who works with SLPs, thank you so much for the contributions you make to SLPs. I didn't know about that 10,000 plus figure you mentioned earlier. That's just truly remarkable and you should be commended for it. And you really are a tremendous resource for the entire SLP nation and for the tens of thousands of lives you changed by helping them start and grow their own private practices. So thank you so much again for joining us. Absolutely. And thank you for having me on the show, Craig. It's my pleasure. And uh, thank you all the listeners for tuning in today. And we'll catch you on the next episode of SLP Money. You've been listening to SLP Money, hosted by Craig Goldslager. Want even more ideas on how to make smart financial decisions? Head on over to the Learning Center at utterlyfinancial.com, where you'll find more information for SLPs and private practice owners. While there, you can also schedule a complimentary 30-minute consultation with Craig. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, which will help more people discover SLP money. Thanks so much for listening. Materials discussed is for general and informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investing advice. While the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individuals' situations may vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual and professional advice. Craig Goldslager is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 2 South Biscayne Boulevard, Suite 1740, Miami, Florida, 33131, 305-371-6333. Securities, products, and financial services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC, financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Utterly Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian, Craig Goldsleiger does not maintain specialized licenses or qualifications for the financial services provided to speech-language pathologists and private practice professionals. Jenna Castro-Casbon and private practice success stories are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Utterly Financial, and opinions stated are their own. Links to external sites are provided for your convenience in locating related information and services. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees expressly disclaim any responsibility for and do not maintain control, recommend, or endorse third-party sites, organizations, products, or services, and make no representation as to the completeness, suitability, or quality thereof. California Insurance License 0K78754 Expiration 06-2022-2020-1045 